Once again, it's Football Archaeology Day, and today with Timothy P. Brown, we're going to talk about a year where there were no seniors in the class. We have a very interesting take on it from Tim and Football Archaeology of this exciting premise, and it's all coming up for you in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes, pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the pig pen and welcome to another edition of where we get to talk to Timothy P. Brown of footballarchaeology.com of some very interesting and unique features of football history. And Tim's got a real dandy tonight. Uh, Tim, welcome back and uh, glad to have you here. Thank you, sir. Darren, look forward to, to chatting once again. Let's see, see where we go. Yeah, now this one is uh, tonight that we're going to go to is one of your tidbits you wrote recently, and it really concerns the college game. And I, I guess eligibility is uh, the, the general scope of it. And uh, I'll let you take it away from here. Yeah, so this one was called The the Year of Living Seniorlessly. It's supposed to be a takeoff on the movie A Year of Living Dangerously. That was from the 80s. So if you didn't get that uh, really clever little uh, play on words. then I, I was in high school and college during the 80s. I don't remember much of them, but. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll talk about that some other time. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, so the gist of this is that, you know, I mean, everybody's familiar. There was this big crisis in football in the early, uh, early in the, you know, after the turn of the century. It kind of culminated in the 1905, uh, you know, demand for new new rules and a you know dramatic changes to the game. And so I think generally people think of that and talk about it in terms of changes to the game as played on the field. And while you know there were certainly a lot of changes that occurred from 1906 through 1912 in that regard, um, part of that part of the whole. Uh, struggle and issue was not just on the field of play. It was also the commercialization of the game um, and eligibility standards. And so, you know, these had all been things that had been, you know, issues had been addressed since probably the mid eighties, early nineties. Um, but, but, you know, they just hadn't, they were still, you know, it was still out there, still an issue that not everybody was satisfied with the solutions that, that had been, been presented. But, you know, it's like that we've talked before about the IFA rules it started in 1876. And, um, you know, those were rules only made up, made up by, you know, at most six or seven schools. And, um, but everybody followed their rules. You know, I mean, it wasn't even a, like a formal thing. It was just everybody just followed. Those were the football rules. And um, but the IFA also had a whole set of they had a constitution that set out commercialization and and eligibility rules. And most other schools didn't follow that. That was kind of a a separate gig. 
So, you know, in the late 90s or so, when the Big Ten or the Western Conference and what's the Big Ten got started, they they developed a lot of rules along the same lines. And um, but the whole 1905 crisis, you know, kind of brought things to a head and they, they were looking to make things stricter. So the Big Ten adopted rules. Um, you know, one of the rules was that for 1906, Big Ten teams would only play five games a year. Um, and that uh, athletes would only have three years of eligibility. Okay. Which now seems like, okay, well, now freshmen are eligible again. But, you know, if you're old enough, you you remember when, you know, freshmen weren't eligible, you know, for football, basketball, and maybe another, you know, maybe baseball. Um, so they, they adopted that rule. But when they did it, they made it retroactive. And so what that meant was that going at least they, they did it in like early, say, January of 1906. That meant that seniors who were planning to play baseball and run track at those at the Big Ten schools, if they had done so for, as freshmen, so, sophomores and juniors, suddenly they weren't eligible. And it also meant that the freshmen weren't going to be eligible, assuming they wanted to compete as sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So you were in a situation where you were only going to be represented by two classes. And so that's actually what happened that spring. But kind of, you know, cooler heads prevailed by the time fall rolled around. And they um, they allowed, uh, they, they kept the three-year eligibility rule, but they did not make it retroactive. So uh, those who were already in school were kind of grandfathered. So seniors did get to play as in in 1906 freshmen typically not um and so you know the so the year of living seniorlessly really only applied to the spring and by fall you know things kind of turned around and and they were eligible to play but you know they they just did a lot of uh but by 1907 or for the 1907 season they said okay you can play seven games a year and then, and they, um, they they made the three year eligibility thing only apply to football, baseball, and track. Basketball was not you know a big deal at the time. Um, and they they had a couple of other rules. I mean, it, one of them I thought it was really silly was they did not allow their scrub or reserve team to play. Previously, they could play two games a year against outside opponents, and they they scrapped that. Which to me, of all the people, you know freshmen need to play somebody else you know right so oh, and the reserves and scrubs um so anyways that's kind of, it's just one of those things where you just can't imagine now i mean now there are lawsuits you know uh stemming from it but the idea of implementing a rule that was retroactive you know as far as eligibility concerned just craziness you know but that's what the faculties wanted and so that's what they got Back in 1906. Now, was it that, uh, refresh my memory, was it that that made uh, Michigan leave the Western Conference or the Big Ten for, for a period of time? Was it was it that, uh, the five-game? Yeah, so, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that was just one more thing, one more log on the fire. Um, Michigan had, uh, Michigan had a very successful program prior to that, and and they pissed off a lot of people. Um, they, you know, they stopped, um, you know, back then, you know, teams would have these feuds, Harvard and 
Princeton had a feud where they wouldn't play one another, you know, for like a dozen years and things like that. And Harvard or uh, Michigan had that kind of situation with a bunch of different schools. All of a sudden they say, oh, we're not going to play you because X, Y, or Z. So, um, so it's just one of those things or one of the things that certainly didn't help the situation. And so they left the conference in 1907 for the 1907 season. And they got back in, in either 17 or 18. So they were gone, you know, for 10, 11 years. Yeah, it's it's still shocking when you one of the first uh, teams you think about when you think about the Big Ten is probably Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin. You know, yeah. one of the Michigan State having one of those uh, big guys leave. You know, well, it, you know, it's 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 funny you mentioned Ohio State because they they were nothing. You know, it, at that period, they were nothing. They just they were like a, um, you know they they were late. You know, getting into the conference. And they, they just weren't very successful until, you know, mid-teens. Then they started having some, you know, some really good teams. Um, but, you know, that's one of those teams you you just kind of assume, well, Ohio State has always been there. And they've always been good because in living memory, they certainly have been, right? And, uh, but, you know, they were kind of a little bit of Johnny come lately, you know, to the Big Ten. Um, um, nothing like a Penn State or uh, – Nebraska and now the the West Coast teams, but nevertheless, right. even Michigan State. Michigan State was, you know, after the war. So, hmm. well, good stuff as always, Tim, and uh, we definitely appreciate that. Now, you have uh, your daily tidbits uh, that come out each and every day, and you have some uh, other great posts that you, you put up on the website. Maybe you can give some information to folks on on how they can find you uh, and get your information daily. Yeah, it's really simple. Uh, go to footballarchaeology.com. Just subscribe. That'll lead to you getting an email in your inbox uh, every night. And, uh, you know, pile them up, let them, let them gestate for a little bit or read them that moment and, you know, kind of whatever suits your fancy. If you don't want it, if you don't want emails, then, uh, you know, the only other thing, you can obviously visit the site whenever or uh, follow me on Twitter. And with Twitter, you have a one in four billion chance of ever seeing uh, anything I post there because that's just the nature of Twitter these days. <laughs> it's like the lottery. <laughs> so if you, right. if you really want to read any of this stuff, subscribe because Twitter is probably not going to do you, do you any good. Well, I can, I can make a recommendation. If you want to follow Tim on Twitter or you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, you can set the notification bell. So every time, that something posts, but unfortunately, when you reply to things that other people post or retweet, you're going to get that notification as well. But so you can uh, pick your poison there, different ways to to get the information. So, but uh, Tim, we really appreciate you coming on, talking about this great subject from football history once again, and uh, we'd we'll like to talk to you again next week. Well, enjoy it as always, and I look forward to the coming week. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast.
we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.